My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And I get to launch us into our new series in the book of Colossians. So I want to invite you to open your Bible or your Bible app uh, to Colossians chapter 1. And I'll start with verse 1 in just a moment. I want you to imagine that you're a new follower of Jesus. For some of you, that may be true. Maybe in the last year, you settled things in your life with Jesus. You received him into your life. You realized God had introduced himself to you, and it has been a radical and wonderful transformation that has started in your life. Somewhere along the way, all of us as followers of Jesus, whether we're new or we've been around for a while, realize that there are different pressures There are different pressures that come to us uh, because of our allegiance to Christ, because of our affection for Jesus and his people, because of our sense of identity that has come about because I am a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is the one that brings us into some sense of realm of conflict, conflict with the powers that be. Did, you ever, did your parents ever, you know, answer a question for you with a sense of, well, that's just how it is in the world with the powers that be? Anyone ever say that to you? You know, you have to acknowledge the powers that are out there. There are political powers, powers of empire and the state. There are social powers, social powers that come about because of our peers or the implications ultimately for how we're going to do business. There are religious and family powers. Someone usually holds the sense of, well, this is who we are as a family, and this is what we stand for because of our religion. But there are also spiritual powers Paul called them powers and principalities, powers that resist the work of Jesus in this world. And so this array of powers, political, social, religious, family, and spiritual, are something that we all must deal with and approach. And at times, there's a temptation to compromise a temptation to adjust. There's a temptation to try to figure it all out. How can I make all of this fit together? And we want to make it all make a beautiful picture, particularly in our society today. The pressures that we feel about how to do pluralism means that we want to eliminate exclusive claims to truth. It means we want to manage other people's offense, especially in Canada. I'm afraid I might offend you or hurt your feelings or make you uncomfortable. And this is a hospitable approach, but there's a point at which hospitality must give way to truth. The truth about who we are as a person. The truth about who we are in Christ. The truth about how it is in the world, and the world is not as Christ would have it. 
And so what do we do with the exclusivity claims of Jesus? How do we arrange our lives inside the lordship of Jesus? In effect, this is part of what Paul was trying to address when he wrote the letter to Colossae. He was trying to address this issue of powers in the world. And is Jesus above them? Is he greater than them? Does Jesus have anything to say to us about those powers claim on our lives? That's right. Thank you. And so this Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Colossae, he says this Jesus is the Christ. This Messiah, Jesus, is for you as well. He wasn't just a Jewish Messiah. He was the Messiah for the whole world. He is above all, renewing and transforming all and renewing us so that we might reflect his image in this world as we were intended. So it's a simple text we start with today. Just two verses. Are you ready? You're like, that's going to be the shortest reading of the day. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Some of you have already memorized it. Are you into memorizing scripture, by the way? I would love it if at the end of this series someone could stand up and recite all of Colossians to us by memory. Go for it. Just start working on it. We won't finish till sometime next year. You have time. But I would encourage you to actually take the scripture and read it and become familiar with this text, this larger text that we're going to be reading. Today I want us to see something about Paul and about this church and about God, our Father. When Paul writes this letter, he insists that he is truly an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There's two aspects of this that are really important for us because I think some of us have a resentment about Paul in our life. If you've been in the church for a while and then you've been listening to the rest of the world, you're like, the things that Paul taught and the things that Paul tried to work out in the world sort of set me crossways with the world. Like any time Paul gets ready to talk about the exclusivity of Jesus, it sets me crossways in the world. Anytime Paul gets ready to talk about money, it sets me crossways with the rest of the world. Anytime Paul gets ready to talk about power, it sets us crossways in the world. And then finally, the big one. Anytime Paul gets ready to talk about sex, it sets us crossways in the world. And so what are we to do? What was Paul to do? 
Because it's one thing for us to really acknowledge in the life of Paul that he understood how Jesus had set him crossways with the rest of the world. Do you remember something about the life of Paul? He was also called Saul. This was his Jewish identity, Saul. And Saul was zealous for God. Saul had been a student of the word. Saul was a person of prayer. In fact, he probably prayed more than you and I do. He probably, when he was in Jerusalem, made it his habit to join all three times of prayer in the day and on occasion to add more times of prayer into his life. Going to the temple to pray in the morning and at midday and perhaps even in the evening. And if he wasn't there at the temple, he still made it his habit to pray, to pause, and to order his day with a sense of life of prayer. From his time as a child, Paul would have been aware of the dramatic call of God in relation to his life, in relation to his relationships and community, in relation to his sense of the supreme identity of God as the God of all creation, not just Israel, and also his attachment to the land. He would have been aware of all four claims in his life and for his allegiance. He would have grown up with this word from Deuteronomy, I can get there. Deuteronomy. Well, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You familiar with your Bible? <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 6. He would have heard and recited these words almost every day of his life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, like he would have done this. He would have done this literally. He would have tied a box with the scripture on his arm. My Jewish rabbi friend stands in the nest to this day, and he looks for Jewish men walking by, and he says, have you done the prayer lately? And he will pull them over to his table, and he will tie this box onto him. And they will have a moment of prayer together. So this has been happening for quite a few years, thousands of years. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. This is the tradition in which 
Saul lived and breathed, and he became zealous for God. So zealous for God that in consideration that a Messiah had come, and this Messiah called Jesus had died on a cross, he considered it blasphemy. And in his zeal for the power of Jewish faith, the identity of Jewish people in the land and in Israel, he wanted a pure faith. And his zeal drove him to violence. There was a man named Stephen who had become a follower of Jesus. He had sort of become famous as a deacon in Jerusalem for not only in caring for the poor and the widows, Stephen was a great preacher and an excellent historian of the Word of God. Stephen had been arrested and had been brought in before the Sanhedrin to talk about this Messiah, Jesus. And he lays Jesus' death at their feet. Stephen, in his sermon, says, Now you have betrayed and murdered Jesus, the righteous one, the Messiah. You have received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. And it says that those with power in that room became so angry they were gnashing their teeth. It's a very interesting phrase for anger. And they rushed him out. And they dragged him out of that place. And they began to pick up stones and throw them at Stephen in order to kill him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Now, get this picture. Here is a man who's on his knees being beaten down by stones being thrown at him. And he has a vision as if heaven has opened up in front of him. And there he declares, look! Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered up their ears and they began yelling at the top of their voices and they rushed him. Lord Jesus, he says, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. The next day, Saul led a violent oppression of Christians in Jerusalem, followers of the way. He began to go door to door. It gives door to door missions a new name, doesn't it? He began door to door in order to discover them and drag them out. 
He destroyed the church house to house and put them in prison. It was Saul's intention then to follow wherever Christians might have gone. And Christians had gone to Damascus. So it was his intention to follow them to Damascus and get rid of them. But on the way, Jesus intercepted Saul. And his life would forever be changed. Later, when Saul spoke of this, Saul says in Galatians, He says, you know how I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my age. And among my people, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. On the way to Damascus, he saw a bright light, and he heard a voice. He was stricken blind, and he was led into a city where for three days he prayed and fasted, trying to sort out who is this Jesus I just met? A man named Ananias was told to go and see Paul, Saul. Ananias resisted at first. He tried to tell God, no, I, I don't want to go. But God insisted that he go. God told Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so Ananias came. And do you know how Ananias addressed Saul as he sat there in that room in darkness, blind? Listen to what he said. Brother Saul, oh, brother, brother, do you hear how quickly Jesus had changed the affections and allegiance of Ananias, that the very one who had come to kill him was the one he now called brother? Brother Saul? The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then he went out and just proclaimed the most simple thing he could. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. It didn't go well in his first round of preaching. It's just about like the new believer who goes to their family and says, 
Mom and dad, you have got to become followers of Jesus. Jesus is the way. And they're like, yeah, no. You, you, what happened to you at university? I sent you to get an education. <laughs> and this is what happens? And so therein is the confrontation of power. Immediately. It happened to Saul, who became known as Paul, is that he had a confrontation of power because of the name of Jesus. Jesus is the issue. It's Jesus. Jesus is the issue. Powers and principalities are arrayed at times against Jesus. Our families at times can be arrayed against Jesus and what he's calling us to. Our social settings are arrayed against the proclamation of Jesus. And how are we to respond? We're not that different from the people of Colossae 2,000 years ago. They were living in a town that was in decline. The city that was gaining more power was Laodicea. Laodicea is mentioned even in the letter. Paul says, make sure that the letter you're going to hear gets sent to Laodicea and that you listen to the letter that's coming from Laodicea. In AD 61-62, there was a great earthquake and Colossea basically went from decline to disappearing. And yet one of the most important letters of the New Testament with the most central proclamation about how to live in the realm of powers with Jesus is this book, this letter, this text. Because Paul had it in mind that he was actually sent to be an apostle of Jesus even when he was in prison. Paul, when he wrote this letter, is in prison, but it did not stop him from trying to encourage and support a people he had never even met. Paul didn't start the church of Colossae. Epaphras did, or Epaphras. Epaphras started this church having become a believer who went home and shared about Jesus in his hometown and the message of Jesus somehow gathered a new people. A new people that Paul says, you are the holy people of God in Colossae. You are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. This is Paul's new geography. This is Paul's new geography of the land. In a place and in Christ. It works for us too. We are faithful brothers and sisters. We are God's holy people. In Vancouver, in Christ. So just in case someone doesn't remember, turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are in Vancouver and in Christ.
So what powers are arrayed against you? What powers do you have to confront? Political? Social? Religious? Familial? Spiritual? These powers exist in every geography where there are people. And the implications for how we live means we have to sort out, well, how close will we get to empire? Unfortunately, Constantine got it wrong. How close will we live and relate to the former religious practices of our families and our traditions? How close will we live to relating to and obeying the empire? How close will we live in trying to find social status and acceptance among our peers? How close will we live in relation to temptation that come through powers that would have us also kill, steal, and destroy others? This is the very real challenge of the letter of Colossians, but it's also ours. And in that, we are also called to be holy people that is, people who have been chosen by God and set aside for the purposes of Jesus. And we've also called to be faithful to God as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so is our relationship and sense of relationship here even, the family of Christ, that we would look and consider the person behind us and before us who also knows Jesus to be brothers and sisters in Christ? And is it our move to be faithful? Faithful becomes tested over time. Faithfulness to Christ is our response to persist over time, even when our plans fall apart, even when the powers seem to be winning the day, even when there's pressure to renounce the one who loves us and provides the greatest source of life. Some of you are familiar with this internal battle of allegiance. I remember sitting with a person who had traveled to Athens, Greece because of the journey for refuge that they had been on. And they were sharing their story of how they got to know Jesus. And they were sharing that they had met with one of the leaders from the ministry center there. And this person had just asked them about their life. How are you doing today? And the person said, well, basically, I don't know where to go next. I'm so confused about where to go from Athens. Where in the world can I go? I feel lost. And then he said, and then I can't tell who's telling me the truth. 
one person says this, and another person says this, and someone says you should go here, and someone says you need this visa, and I can't tell who's telling me the truth. But the truth is, I've been in this city so long, and I feel like I'm trapped here, and some days I feel like it would be better if I was dead. And our friend who had been serving in the ministry center smiled and said, I know this is going to seem really strange, but Jesus really is for you. You said you don't know which way to go, but Jesus is the way. You said you don't know if there's anyone that's in this world who will tell you the truth, but Jesus says, I am the truth. And you say you don't feel like you should live, but death is going to win in your life. And I tell you that Jesus says he is the life. And he said, my friend who was sharing this with me got so happy that he laughed. And he said, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one you need. And the person who was sharing this story with me said, I didn't believe him that day. But I did. I did come to believe him. And when we were last there, he was one of the servants who was serving people day after day after day, faithfully encouraging them and inviting them into the life and community of Jesus. How are you and I going to respond to Jesus. Colossians is a letter that over and over seems to be a Joshua 24 moment. Do you know in Joshua 24, Joshua speaks to the people and wants to renew their covenant commitment to Jesus or to God, the Father. And he wants to renew their covenant with God. And so he says to them, you choose this day. If the Lord God is Lord, then you serve him. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The book of Colossians is a Joshua 24 moment over and over and over. Is he really the Lord? then who else has your affections? Who else has your allegiance of your life? Will you surrender to him? And it's in that surrender that we come to know something about God the Father. It's in the greeting here. He says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. This became one of Paul's signature greetings. Grace and peace. It's almost like we say, hi, how are you doing? And Paul would say, grace and peace. Grace and peace. You can try it. Turn to your neighbor and say, grace and peace. Our grace and peace was costly. And whenever Paul used the word grace, he was speaking of this. He was speaking of the salvific work of God on our behalf, that Jesus came as the Messiah and that he gave and submitted his body to the cross. He 
let his life be drained from him in order that he might fill us with life. The great call of Colossians is that God would be your everything, that Christ would be your everything, and that in Christ you would experience everything of God. We come into this moment to consider again and remember the blood and body of Jesus. Perhaps as I spoke of those powers, you realized that there are some powers that you have granted your affections to over Jesus. Would you repent of those? Maybe the power of the flesh has taken a greater place in your life. Maybe the the power of comparison that we spoke of last week has taken a greater place in your life. Maybe the fear of rejection has come at such a place in your life that you're like, I just need to tone down Jesus so I don't get rejected. Maybe the place of Jesus in your life is such that you're, you're anxious about the commitments you, you know he's calling you to make. And you're wondering, is it worth it? Paul would say, it's worth it. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Cease the striving and receive the thriving work of the Spirit in your life. Set the anxiety before the Lord and let his peace fill you and take its place. Over and over and over in those moments. With those helping today, come as you and I reflect and do business with the Lord this morning.